Welcome to another episode of The Cosmic Podcast with me, Chris Dears, and him, Kelvin Andrews. We open today's episode with a new feature, Words of Wisdom. It's where we share quotes from some of the best and most inspirational scientists out there. Our first Words of Wisdom is from Sir Fred Hoyle, and this is, Space isn't remote at all. It's only an hour's drive away if your car could go straight upwards. That's, that's quite amazing when you think about it, really, that in fact you could, it's only an hour upwards to space in your car. I if wonder you, if you could actually make a little change to the way your car drives and it can just go straight up. Hold back to the future, couldn't you? Yes, you exactly. By the way, if you don't know who Sir Fred Hoyle is, he's best known for his controversial stance on the Big Bang Theory. He quite simply rejected it. Now, for a scientist to do that was is quite something. Uh, but that is another episode in itself. But his words of wisdom are definitely worth a mention. Wouldn't you agree? Kevin? No doubt about it, yes. You know, just the fact you could... I wish I could drive up there. It'd be much better than stay on Earth. Come on, wouldn't it? You get bored too easily. And here's what's coming up in this month's podcast. In this month's edition, Chris heads out to Regent's Park in London for a night under the stars with the Baker Street Irregular Astronomers. We travel through time for space news, but first we look at what's coming up in June's night sky. Now I'm afraid June is a boring time for the night sky. Uh, boring oh. for astronomy, it's just like, ah. Oh. But basically, it, it, it's just not great for looking at things because we don't officially have night time until mid-August now. Wow, is, you're saying it's not getting dark until August? Yeah, well, it, it still gets dark, but it doesn't get dark enough to become night time. So you did just hear me right, Kelvin, honestly. Okay, but with a decent telescope, you can... You can still see things, but yeah, again, it's just... For deep sky objects, it's not great. The UK is far enough north that it doesn't officially become nighttime during the summer nights. We get what's called astronomical twilight, if you know what I mean. Okay. From that, so astronomical twilight is where the sun doesn't dip low enough below the horizon for it to be classed as nighttime. If you go to Scotland, it still looks like sunset, for example, and if you go far enough north, the sun never sets. Uh, however, with the summer solstice just around the corner, it does mean that we get one of the best views of our very own galaxy, the Milky Way. Uh, it sort of looks like someone spilt milk across the night sky. We touched briefly on it last month's episode, didn't we? And yeah, we just, did, yeah. You can actually see the Milky Way. It's, as I said, like some, someone spilt milk across the night sky. Uh, you need to be out of the city to see this, I'm afraid. So my advice would be find a spot out in the country far, far away from any light. Somewhere like the Peak District, the New Forest, Dartmoor. Go anywhere like that where there's going to be barely any light whatsoever. Yeah, avoid all light pollution and get out there in the countryside. That's what you're saying. So when you see the Milky Way at this time of year, you're actually looking into the middle of our galaxy. And that's quite something, really, because you're looking dead centre. You're looking past all the other star systems out there. There could be other life when you're looking into this part of the sky. And it's amazing that we actually belong in the Milky Way. And there we are observing it from where we are. It's just completely weird. It's yeah. just like, whoa, and that is us. And to put it... You know, some people say there's a black hole in the centre of the Milky Way as well. So I guess, in a sense, you are looking into a black hole. I'm sure P Professor Brian Cox will explain it better than I would. Yeah. <laughs> or you would. Or, or my, I think with Professor Brian Cox, he'd be getting things out like, if we went for a dinner, for example, he'd go, this is the Earth with the salt shaker, with the pepper shaker. This is the sun. And this little, this little Malteser, 
is the moon and this moon goes around the That's earth not a earth, bad impression the, the earth goes around have you seen um have you seen some of the impre- there's some good impressions out there one of them's just like you see you see this food this is the earth this is and these maltese are spread across these rivers <laughs> they are the asteroid belts this little p is pluto well, I need that because I'm the resident layman. I'm not an astronomy expert. I, I was brought into astronomy because of our uh, good friendship, and now I'm learning every time we do a podcast, which is amazing. Other things to look out for in the night sky, then. Uh, you've basically got Jupiter and Venus. They're still about. Uh, and we spoke about them on last month's episode. So if you want to find out all the details about how to look for them, check out last month's episode. Uh, but we also have Saturn. That's still uh, t- making an appearance. And Mars, believe it or not, is is coming close as well. Just the other night, I looked up towards the sky, sky going up to um, near my house. And there was a very, very bright star. And I said to myself... Is that Venus? Yes. It is. Was it near the horizon? Yes. Yes. It's, it's very, Venus. very bright. In fact, at first I thought it was a plane coming towards me. It was a so lot, bright. Funny you should mention that a lot of people think it's UFOs. Yeah. There's a lot of UFO sightings because Venus, it, it's just so bright. It's not something you'd expect to see there. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have, have called it a UFO and then people have to point out that, that that's a planet. It's not a UFO, but it, again, it puts it all into perspective how how close Venus is actually to us as well. If you actually think about it, it's more mind blowing that it's a planet than it is a UFO, because yeah. you know it could be a UFO could be a uh, military ship or military plane that we don't know what it is. Could, could be could be. It's not necessarily aliens. A lot of people think UFO aliens, but UFO is just something we can't explain in the night sky. Unidentified flying object. Exactly. So there we are. So that's a good way of putting it. Uh, so yeah, look out for Venus. Mars is about as well. That rises not long after Saturn. It's not great for looking at. Um, it's just it's too far away to see anything. But it's worth mentioning, I think, that it is there. You can see it, and you should be able to see it naked eye as just a small little little speck of red dust that doesn't twinkle. Uh, and now we move on to this month's space news. <laughs> Stephen Hawking Memorial Service, open to time travellers, is the headline. That's if you believe such a thing could be possible. The public ballot form for tickets lets people scroll from 1918 to 2038 when choosing their date of birth. While it is unclear if the choice of years is deliberate, a spokesman for the Stephen Hawking Foundation said time travel had not yet been proven impossible. Professor Hawking, who died in March this year, age 76, held a party for time travellers in 2009. Balloons, canapes and champagne were laid on at the event, however no one showed up to meet the world-famous physicist. The invitation read, You are cordially invited to a reception for time travellers to be hosted by Professor Stephen Hawking. No one turned up. Crucially, the invitations were not sent until the date had passed, so only those who had figured out how to go back in time could attend. A memorial service for Professor Hawking will take place on the 15th of June. His children are offering 1,000 free tickets to the public for the Westminster Abbey event. And that has been Space News. What a Space News story that is as well, isn't it, Kevin? I love it. Going back to to me, because it's not all about me, (laughs) um, my previous incarnation as a music maker, 
which I still am, but obviously I'm not doing that now. Uh, me and my brother made an album which had a theme of time travel. Uh, that's, uh, a ni- that's a nice little link, a quick, quick promo for Kelvin. <laughs> well, this, this album was a few years ago, so uh, um, it was 2007 or 2008. So 11 years ago at least. Yes, so, yeah. yeah, and um, we, we, our album was called 81, and the concept was that we went back to 1981 knowing what we know now and we changed that was kind of the lyrical thing uh it was it was a very vague concept but on, on the on the front cover was a a a, a uh, illustration of what we call our own time machine hmm. uh, so if you ever want to look at the albums by soul mechanic and it's the album's called 81 check the artwork and you'll see what we mean well should we do some time travel right this minute all right then uh, time travel really it's quite easy and this is something you can do at home okay all you have to do, Calvin, if you could stand up, just take your headphones off and just stand up for me. Okay, we're going to do some in-studio science here. Okay, right. And just jump up on the spot for me. You've just travelled through time. Next you're going to be asked, how? How was that, how is that possible? <laughs> how have I just travelled through time? Excuse me, I'm just getting back into my seat. Well, if you think <laughs> of it, the earth is moving under your feet, isn't it? You've just jumped on the spot, so you've jumped into midair while the Earth's moved under your feet. But the concept is there, if you jump up on the spot, you are travelling through time. I suppose, or you could go to a living history museum and just experience history for a day. I suppose that's time travel as well. Yeah, your imagination. Yeah, it's how you, I guess it's how you travel. perceive time travel, really, isn't it? Yeah. And on that note, uh, that has been a very extended Space News. Now, I had the pleasure of spending a night with the Baker Street Irregular Astronomers in Regent's Park. Now, they are um, they're basically a load of geeks that meet up with their telescopes. And this is uh, this is a positive geek, OK? And it's no, by no way an insult. Uh, they basically meet... All geeks are positive. I yeah, like geeks. Exactly. I'm in awe of them because I'm not one. Yeah. I am a music geek, but so I can relate to so it. So you can relate but, to but, it. But, like, real geeks, like techno- technology geeks and astronomy geeks like yourself well these guys know their stuff they basically go and spend a night under the stars in regent's park in london now you'd think why would you go to a light pollution hotspot but it's all about bringing astronomy to be the people of london by the way these events are free to turn up to you can you can just go along and see what they get up to that's great so i headed down to their may meeting um and yeah so, saw what it's all about I'm here at Regent's Park for Seeing Stars and I'm with two very talented individuals. One of them, I'm told, is the best man at imaging the ISS, which is the International Space Station. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, hi there. Uh, my name is Sabi and I've been imaging the International Space Station since a while. Uh, this is really my, my sort of cup of tea. Um, so manual uh, tracking with a Dobsonian telescope and close-ups where you can see properly the panels, the modules, the spacecraft docked to the International Space Station, and so on and so forth. That's quite a special thing because that is actually a spacecraft out there orbiting us, a massive satellite that goes around and you can see this naked eye, can't you? Absolutely, absolutely. It's cr- it's, so these days it's crossing the sky about three or four times per night and uh, and and this is a special night actually today because two days or three days ago the Cygnus cargo ship was launched and tomorrow at 10 o'clock it will dock to the space station so tonight you can actually see it if it's clear 
following or be, coming before the International Space Station as a fainter object. And that is like, that is mankind at its best, really, launching things into outer space, and you can actually see it docking through a telescope. Absolutely. And that's not easy because you have to literally track it with your telescope as well because it moves at quite a speed. Doesn't absolutely, it? absolutely. So imagine that from horizon to horizon, it usually takes around six minutes or five, six minutes, and uh, and the speed. Let's not forget that the speed is around 28, 29,000 kilometers per hour, 400 kilometers above the Earth. So when it's when it's an overhead pass, it is really speedy. So and especially with my scope, I, I, I image with a 300 millimeter focal length. So that's quite some. So it's a skill. It's learnable. And if you pay, you know, attention, it's all feasible. I think I've got it once successfully in my Dobsonian. It just happened to be at the right time, at the you know, right moment, right time, because it yep. moves about where it is in the night sky and everything. Yep. Um, I, I highly recommend people go and download the apps that can track it and all that, and you can see where it is. You can see webcams, and these people, there's people living up there, isn't there? Oh, so, absolutely, absolutely. You know, Six people permanently are on board the station. It's an international corporation. Plus, they do crucial experiments to humankind, and they're actually helping humankind to, to progress and, and go further. Well, thank you for talking to me today. I'll leave you to it, and I'll let you. And good luck with imaging tonight, and hopefully, I wish you some luck. Now, I'm with some, someone else here. If you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Robert. Now, you haven't got your telescope out because you said it was in the car, didn't you? It's in the van, yes. So, but talk to me about what you do, because you, you said to me, oh, I'm not really a professional, I just do it for the fun. Yeah, so basically we come down here once a month, um, I go to various camps and things, and I'll get my scope out. It's a go-to, so in all honesty you don't really have to know that much, as long as you can set up the scope yourself. And... Uh, show people what I find, um, whether it be galaxies, open clusters, closed clusters, um, nebula, planets, etc, etc. How easy is it to set up a telescope? Because a lot of people go, ooh, it's quite complicated. But When they work, it's very, very easily. Unfortunately, sometimes Celestrons and Skywatchers do prove a little bit difficult, but when they are in a good mood, <laughs> they can be very, very easy to set up. I think it's always better having a good old Dobsonian because you can just plonk it in, you can align it with the finer scope, look yes, at it. You're that, lucky because you know where you're going. If you've got one of those ones that move themselves, you've got to align it to that point on Earth, you've got to yeah, you know, you get the right... Yeah, you've got to find your, your coordinates on Earth, then you've got to get three stars that you know, line them all up and uh, go from there. But if you do do it and you get a perfect alignment, it is worth it. And like I say, when you've... Uh, when you see your first, if it's really dark, when you see your first galaxies and some good open clusters, it's very, very rewarding. Well, thank you for talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure coming out here to the Baker Street Irregular Astronomers. Thank you very much. So I'm with friend of the show, Simon Bennett. Hello, Simon. Good evening. Now, we're out in Regent's Park in the middle of London. Last place you think to sort of do astronomy, isn't it? That used to be the case. But a few years ago, myself and one other had a very good idea about gathering people together in central London to show people that you can stargaze from the city. And it's it's like we've been incredibly lucky today, haven't we? We're usually pretty lucky with the weather here. We look at different websites, different apps to try and gauge the weather. At the moment, our meetings are fixed dates, so we have to plan about 10 days ahead to be absolutely certain. 
but um, we're lucky most of the time. If it's raining hard, we will call off a meeting. Nobody wants to get themselves or their telescopes wet. But if it's cloudy, people still get together because it's fun. We enjoy ourselves. We've all got the same interests, and you always get gaps in the clouds. Now, you run the widescreen sensor, so you not only put on events like this, but you actually do this for a living, don't you? Yes, I do. Sell telescopes for a living, advise people, uh, do installations, uh, teach people one-to-one in groups. So, uh, yeah, this is what I do. It's, uh, I'm lucky. It's my job as well as my hobby. Well, you're very lucky because you're out in Cambridgeshire, so dark sky is all around there. Yeah. yeah, a bit different. We used to be in London until two years ago, but um, the lure of uh, um, the countryside was too much in the end. So before we move on, talk me through the telescope you've got set up here. The telescope I brought tonight is a refractor using lenses to gather and focus the light. Um, it's a 115mm aperture, that's the diameter of the lens on the front, which is 4.5 inches in old units. Um, it's a Japanese telescope, it's a Vixen Japanese, uh, make very, very good optics. And the stand that it's on, it's not computerised, it's a simple manual stand, but it's lightweight and it's portable. And I can carry the whole thing without having to make two journeys. Well, lastly, talk me through how people can come down here. Is it just a turn-up kind of thing? You don't charge, do you? It's just a turn-up setting. Our philosophy when Carl Drake and I started this in 2010 was that the night sky is always free. And just because you get a bunch of people together to look at it, the price shouldn't go up. So our meetings are and always will be free. Uh, it does cost to run the society, so we always encourage people to make uh, donations uh, via the bakerstreetastro.org.uk website. But um, you can just turn up. Uh, there's no booking system. There's no membership, uh, there's no forms to fill out, you just come along and enjoy yourself. So I've come indoors now, as you can probably hear, it's quite cosy in here. Uh, it's definitely warmer because it has got very chilly outside, the wind has picked up, but I am with who Simon classes as someone new to astronomy, so if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Robin. So thank you for talking to us today, Robin. Um, and when you say someone new, have you literally just sort of just seen astronomy and gone, I want to get involved with that? I've kind of been... I guess I've been like reading about it for quite a long time. Um, I've always been interested in school, but I've never done anything to do with telescopes, so I didn't know. It. I don't basically don't know anything about telescopes, so that's why I wanted to come here. Because actually, like observing astronomy is something I've never done. Before. So is this your first session here? This is my first time. Here. And you haven't got a telescope or anything I do like that. Not have a telescope. So what do you I think? Looking through some of these things. Um, they're amazing. I hadn't realised the variety, like how different things can look in different scopes. Obviously, because right now it, we're only looking at the moon um, because the sun hasn't gone down yet. So later on, I guess I'll be able to see much more of what you can do. With well, I'm told the International Space Station will be making a pass in later as well. Yeah. So that as well, and okay, someone's going to try and get that. So that's right, going to be quite something. So has it really inspired you to sort of go out and buy a telescope? Um, well, actually, someone warned me away from doing that as soon as I got here. So um, he said, come for like a few months, try out all the different ones, and then you've got to work out what it is that you really want to look at. Otherwise, you'll just buy a telescope and you might make a mistake. So I've actually, met numerous yeah. people who've done exactly the same, bought a telescope, don't know how to use it, because right. they don't know what they want to look at. Yeah. So you're right to do that. Okay. Um, I mean, I personally have a Dobsonium, which is the big fat ones that you see. Yeah. Uh, they're the big chunky ones. Yeah. They are great for planets and things like close up. Okay. But again, Excellent. as you say, it depends what you want to look at, because mm -hmm. each telescope is unique. You've got solar scopes, binoculars, and just what you can see with the naked eye as well, I think. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking to me, and Thanks enjoy so the rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you to the Baker Street Irregular Astronomer for letting me 
come around and pester them with a the microphone in Regent's Park. I love in the that. Middle of London. It was it was good fun. I mean, I was gutted you couldn't make it, but you you were in Cyprus, so sunning wow. sunning yourself. It's the way it goes, I'm afraid. It's the way it goes. But I bet the, I bet the night sky was amazing in Cyprus. Yes, and you know it is. I have noticed this. It's beautiful. It's 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 a different kind of sky as well. Yeah, we're in the north as well, Carinia, in the mountains, yeah. and it's completely. It's like a, I don't know, a, um, a black blue cloak with stars everywhere. It's oh, wonderful. It's just amazing. Just amazing. Anyway, we must move on because you've got something to discuss that was put to you today, wasn't it? Really? Yes. Uh, we don't normally talk religion. However, this. Uh, it's the time of Ramadan, and there's lots of Muslims around the globe observing Ramadan and fasting right now. And I've um, so if um, I was thinking of that, looking out to, uh, from the taxi and looking at the moon at this wonderful crescent slither, and it, I said, "Look at the moon; it's amazing." And I said, "Are, are you fasting?" Because I was talking about it before, and he he talked about um, how uh, Ramadan is based on the phases of the moon and uh, the night sky is when people will eat. As soon as the sun goes down, that's the only time they will eat. So, um, although we don't talk religion on the show, this celebration is led by the phases of the moon, of course. So if you're a Muslim and you're fasting, happy Ramadan. And a massive thank you to that taxi driver who made me aware of this on my ride in today. It's a really interesting concept, really, where the night sky and religion comes together because it's that thing where it's not just science. I mean, we're all, we, we, we talk like science non-stop with Brian Cox and everything, but in all seriousness, mm. religion, you know, the night sky, it does all revolve around the same thing, really. Yeah, science, nature, religion, they're all connected. They're, they're all connected in some way, and I think the night sky unites it all. Yes, and most it's, definitely. It's quite, it's quite fitting, isn't it? Anyway, while we're talking about this sort of stuff, and, you know, because David Bowie was someone who's very open-minded, wasn't he? I think we should move on to Ziggyology. I think we should. The history of Ziggy Stardust is the history of that stardust which became the human race. As soon as the first humans had dragged themselves upright to gaze at the night sky, they started to wonder whether there might be something out there. Mystified by the heavens, early man succumbed to a pagan impulse of gods and monsters, worship and sacrifice, mumbo and jumbo. Their primitive minds didn't see the starmen in the sky, but the apocalyptic space dragons which tried to gobble up the sun, plunging the world into permanent darkness, or as we'd call the phenomenon today, a solar eclipse. In what was once Mesopotamia, they imagined the earth to be a flat strip beneath a doomed heaven, with hidden doorways either side to allow the sun to creep in at dawn and slither out at twilight. The Sumerians and the Babylonians believed in the power of stars and the creatures within them, constructing humongous layered temples flanked by stairways climbing straight to heaven. From here they would survey the cosmos, chart its movements and convert their findings into a mathematical framework of the first known astronomical data. At the summit of these temples lay a dedicated shrine to the god of their city, placed there like a divine helicopter pad beckoning him to step from heaven and descend into their midst. Using sun-baked bricks made from the dust beneath their feet, the Babylonians were the first civilization in human history to erect a welcome mat for the Starman. Such temples had a special name, meaning the highest place, ziggurats. The ancient Greeks also made gods of constellations, 
paying special attention to those non-twinkling bodies which roam the sky of their own free will. These wandering stars they named the planets. In the vast cloudy streak dissecting the night sky, they saw a milky shower. Thousands of years later, because of the Greeks, we still refer to that starry haze as the Milky Way. But like the Babylonians before them, who invented writing, geometry, the seven-day week, the 12-month calendar, and the 60-minute hour, the Greeks gave us infinitely more than urns and fables. The concept of atoms, the deduction that the sun must be a ball of hot rock, and the earth wasn't flat but a sphere, and in minds as keen as the scholar Epicurus, the first idle daydreams of Ziggy. We must believe, wrote Epicurus, around 400 BC, that in all worlds there are living creatures. Seeing Stars is a Capella production in association with Staffordshire University's FTVRS degree. Follow them on Twitter at Staffs FTVRS.